Hey, Jeremy, have you ever tried CBD before? What do you mean by tried? I don't know. Have you ever used, like, used it yourself? Uh, I've rubbed it on one body part one time. It changed your life? No? Uh, I think it's hard to say. I actually, I, I, I'm just as bamboozled by this as anybody else. I, <laughs> I, I can't well, tell if it helped or not. I think it did. Okay. I felt I put it on an ankle after it had injured, and it kind sure. of was hurting as I was limping around, and I rubbed some CBD on it, and I don't know, like half hour later, it did feel better. Nice. I don't have anything to compare it to. Good, good. You're you're an N of one right there. Well, I mean, do do patients ask you about it? I feel like I get yes. I get questions about this in the office pretty consistently. I mean, usually probably once a day. Would you agree? Yeah, no, this comes up all the time. This is one of the most common questions I get in the office. And even even in text message, like, should I use CBD? Or frankly, I hear all the time, like, yeah, I just threw some stuff on that. If it's an older patient, I feel like they're always like, yeah, my son or my daughter gave me this stuff and told me to rub it on. And I right. think it's helping. I don't know what it is. And you're like, right. and then you look at it. Oh, okay. It's a CBD product. I got you. Well, I'm really glad that we have an expert in all things CBD and what, you know, just sort of demystifying it for us. You know, it's interesting because this, this came to be pretty, pretty recently in 2018, the Agricultural Improvement Act removed hemp from uh, the federal controlled substances list. So like, kind of therefore legalizing it to a degree to be able to utilize the part of, of the marijuana plant. And so it can be presented in a lot of different forms. You can eat it in different types of foods. Like I know there's beverages that are infused with CBD. There's capsules, there's oils, lotions, cosmetics. Fighting data, I feel like, can be pretty difficult. Um, I looked in, and saw just one CBD-derived medication, which is an anti-epileptic drug. And we'll talk about more of this in detail with, with our amazing guest. But really, we, I want to know, like, what symptoms can it treat? Does it actually work? Is one preparation better than another? And I think uh, I think we should bring on our guest to sort of demystify CBD. What do you think? Yeah, we've talked about this episode for a long time. I think even before we started the podcast, we were like, we need to do an episode on this. Um, and, and I think even reviewing the data, it, 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 you find that most of the data is kind of like needs more information or sure. low quality evidence. And it's, so you just don't really know what what what's going on out there. I think even understanding what CBD is may be a good start for some people like how is that different than me just rolling a joint? <laughs> like, what's what's I think the it's difference? Quite different, yes. Well, yeah. well, so obviously it's it. different, but somebody's got to tell me why. Good. Well, we have that somebody, so let's uh, let's get it rolling. What do you think? Cool. Let's do it. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. Right, we're back. I'm so excited about this episode, Jeremy. I know, like you mentioned before, we've talked about this for a long time. Um, and I'm so glad to have our friend and colleague, our doctor friend, who's also an expert in this field, Dr. Scott Palmer. Dr. Palmer is a board-certified internal medicine physician. He's in private practice, and he's affiliated with Rush University Medical Center, where he's also an assistant professor in the Department of Internal Medicine. He trained at the University of uh, Michigan and also at Rush. Um, he's been a Chicago Bulls and Chicago White Sox team physician since 2005. Scott, that was a real good time to start being a physician for the White Sox. If anybody, if any Chicago fans remember 2005 was a big year. Um, he's the chief medical officer and co-founder of Synthonics. It's a pharmaceutical organization involved in research and development of novel therapeutic medication delivery systems. Very interesting. Um, we're going to pick his brain about that. A very avid researcher. His interests include neurodegenerative disorders, epilepsy, uh, concussion syndromes, chronically uh, hypothyroidism, cannabinoids, obviously what we're going to talk about today and their treatment and anxiety and chronic pain, a lot of other issues. So Scott, Dr. Palmer, we're so happy to have you. Thanks so much for being here. Hi, Julie and Jeremy. Well, Scott, can you kind of give us a little bit of a history lesson? Can you give us sort of a rundown of, of what's been going on with cannabinoids and CBD since this sort of legalization happened in the last, you know, four or five years? Sure. I, I think, though, before you start into this, I think it's important to understand where cannabis came from. For a long, long time, uh, people didn't understand the difference between marijuana plant and the hemp plant. Uh, people recall the hemp plant was used for industrial purposes. It, um, it actually was made and, and the fiber used for paper, for clothing, 
uh, rope. Uh, and then people started to discover that uh, both the marijuana plant and the hemp plant had uh, different ratios and uh, and uh, of cannabinoids, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we we went into the 1800s and 1900s very much, um, you know, using this product. And then then the federal government sort of um, outlawed the use mm-hmm. of cannabis mm-hmm. for a long, long time. It was used, you know, personal uh, growers used to uh, grow their own uh, marijuana. And I think we all went through those phases back in the college days where uh, we would be smoking uh, marijuana mm-hmm. and knew the effects of, of what marijuana did. Mm-hmm. And But back in the 1950s and 60s, people started to understand what it was actually about marijuana that, um, that caused that feeling of feeling high and started to understand and be able to split the different types of cannabinoids, both in the uh, hemp plant and the marijuana plant. So uh, as you mentioned, you know, we're, we're percolating along and until uh, 2018 when the Farm Act of 2018 really legalized both hemp and hemp extracts, mm-hmm. you know, and allowed the sales of those products in, onto the market. Well, I apologize for already uh, being erroneous in calling the cannabis plant, hemp and marijuana plant, the same thing. Um, so bring us to 2018. These are legal substances to purchase. I mean, I'm assuming usage as we kind of know, has skyrocketed and, and you know, talk to me about that. that, that yeah, case. the market is amazing and project it's like going to be about $47 billion in about oh five years. Um, you know, I think what was really interesting, there was a um, patient named Charlotte Figgy. Uh, mm-hmm. She was a young, young woman with very severe epilepsy. They moved to uh, Colorado and discovered that hemp extracts at the mm-hmm. time really reduced her seizure frequency. Oh, wow. and, and that product they discovered was CBD. And out of that, uh, they started a, a company called Charlotte's Web, which you hmm. may have heard. And really, it was you know Charlotte who who benefited from this, and and so this was this sort of preceded uh, the um, the farm bill back in 2018. So it was discovered that hemp predominantly makes CBD. Okay. And there's very very little THC in hemp. In fact, the uh, part of the uh, the Farm Act. Uh, stated that to be able to sell hemp and have extracts, the amount of THC in the product had to be less than 0.3%. Okay. So that threshold now is is the standard. And any of the CDB, CBD products you'll see um, typically will have, uh, you know, by law, less than 0.3%. Okay. But it was as it was discovered... They surveyed and, and took, like maybe about five years ago, they took 100 different products, so-called CBD products, anywhere from hemp seed oil to hemp extract to purified hemp extract all the way to isolate. And they found there was no consistency with the amounts of CBD in those products. Some had twice as much as advertised on the label, and some had none. You know, there was no tea or CBD in there. Some had more THC than it, they should have. So... I think part of the reason that law was enacted was to help to regulate this area mm-hmm. uh, so that people could purchase products and then understand um, that they're what, what they're getting and what they're not getting. You don't want to have any um, pesticides or toxins as part mm-hmm. of the product that consuming because these are technically nutraceuticals. Got it. So they are not falling under the uh, FDA guidelines. You know, anybody can sell them. Um, and these days, you can you, if you go online, there's a ton of companies that are making all sorts of CBD products, which are are really interesting. Uh, as you alluded to, there was back in um, about five six years ago, a company called GW Pharmaceutical um, discovered that pure CBD was very helpful for childhood uh, seizures. Mm-hmm. Uh, two rare forms of of these t- seizures. They did a lot of uh, very rigorous trials, and ultimately, they received FDA approval for their product called Epidiolex, which is a 100% CBD uh, product. It's it's in an oil because CBD is is very is fat soluble, and that that's going to be important 
which we'll discuss later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of data on how safe this product was. Um, they are now, people are using it off-label for other types of problems like, like neuro, neurodegenerative diseases, which is really interesting. And, and then um, GW Pharmaceutical was bought by Allergan. And, and so this is, they are the only real company that makes, you know, legalized CBD. Okay. And so that's, that's very interesting. And it helped it for our company, it gave us confidence that we were on the tr right track when we were trying to determine, you know, will these products work for people and, you know, different formulations. I feel like you've mentioned, you know, obviously the explosion in CBD and I, I can feel anecdotally, I feel like I see those letters on almost every type of product these days anywhere. It's a good way to, to market and, and, and get something sold, but just real baseline, like if I go and buy a product with CBD, what am I buying? What is CBD? Yeah. Give us a pharmacology so, lesson. Okay. So uh, we talked about a little bit before, you know, and, and maybe it's, it's best to go into how it's extracted. So, so there's hemp, hemp farms all over people, lots of, of um, farms are night, they're transitioning from tobaccos, particularly in the, you know, in the, in the tobacco belt, you know, Virginia, West Virginia, um, Kentucky, and a lot of this acreage, which formerly was, um, was to grow tobacco is switched over to hemp. And so when you take pure hemp, and this is what we do, cause we have our, we have our little company in, in Blacksburg, Virginia. So we, we, uh, purchase and also grow our own hemp in our, in our small little farm. And so what happens is it goes through the refining process. It, first of all, it's the leaves are removed in the flowers. And then it's sort of mixed together. And so it goes through what they call an extraction process where you use like hypercritical CO2 and you use some hydrocarbons to extract the CBD out of it. And what, what you unfortunately also extract is a lot of other interesting things like terpenes, flavonoids, which we know have good value in, in these products. So depending on what it says on the label, you can get anything from just a raw hemp extract that has not only CBD, but also other plant products. So there's going to be fats, terpenes, flavonoids. There may be a little bit of THC. Um, there may be these, uh, the acid form of CBD, which is CBDA, which we'll talk about. Um, you know, the irony is, is as you get more pure, you know, as your CBD gets more pure, you know, and uh, CBD isolate is the most pure. It's, a, it's nearly 100% CBD you probably get less beneficial effects because okay. there's an interesting phenomenon called the entourage effect. And I think you'll see that if you look at the literature as to, um, the, and what that essentially means is that the, uh, the, that the components together, you know, all parts of the plant are more powerful than the components by themselves. Mm. So when they see entourage effects, they're saying that all the other products help enhance the effects of CBD on the body. And I was early on a skeptic because I thought that, you know, the entourage effect was sort of a term that the growers would use because they would justify why their product was had all these other plant products in there. But I think there's recent data that says that other cannabinoids help to increase the bioavailability of CBD and CBDA. And, and so when you consume the products and Julie, as you said, People can take anything from edibles to, you know, you can vape, there's creams, there's lots of tinctures and, um, you know, there's gummies now, there's patches, but I think one of the limiting things that people have to understand about CBD itself is that it has very, um, it's got very, very poor bioavailability. So if you've, let's say you had a gummy bear that had a hundred milligrams of CBD in it. Only about 6% of that CBD gets into the bloodstream. So it only has 6 to 8% bioavailability, which, which greatly limits the amount uh, that is delivered when you consume any of these products. Uh, the other big, big factor is that CBD is very, very lipophilic, meaning it loves fat. And you, that's why the tinctures are, are oil-based, as is Epidiolex is oil-based. But it is very, very hydrophobic, meaning it you can't dissolve it in water. And that's why you can't make uh, capsules. That's why you can't easily aerosolize it. That's why the 
also contributes to its poor bioavailability because um, it's very, very hydrophobic. And so it's difficult to formulate that uh, product uh, when you're when you're talking about delivery methods uh, that people are trying these days. So like, yeah, when you're talking about, I mean, I, I tend to and I you know, utilize a lot of CBD or hemp infused, you know, um, beverages, you know, to like talking about, you know, as either alcohol or alternatives or just because they're interesting and they seem natural and they're tasty and they're available. But it sounds like it, it might be pretty difficult to have truly bioavailable CBD in like a beverage, in a water-based beverage, because you're not drinking a fatty milkshake. You right. Know? right. And if you put, if you actually put CBD into one of your drinks, it floats mm -hmm. on the surface. So mm. uh, that's why you're not seeing people, you know, with cocktails yet mm -hmm. putting CBD in their cocktail because... When you mix it up, it's like oil and vinegar. I mean, the CBD pulls on right. top. It's got that very grassy taste, mm -hmm. and and it's it's not as edible as as you would like to see. Um, the food and beverage industry is very interested in trying to integrate CBD in the products. You know, Pepsi Cola, mm -hmm. other companies are looking hard and how do they get CBD and THC into into their products? Problem is, they're both neutral cannabinoids, meaning they they aren't. They don't have the natural acid group. Mm -hmm. So they're all very fat soluble, but they're very hydrophobic. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's one big limiting factor as these days as to how people have to consume their CBD. Um, maybe it's a good time to, to discuss the difference between neutral cannabinoids and, and acid cannabinoids, because I think that people forget that um, when the plant that itself makes, doesn't make THC, it makes THC. In fact, back thousands of years ago, people would take the leaves off of a marijuana plant, put them in a hot tea, and that they called that a concoction, decoction, mm -hmm. um, and they would sip this cannabis tea and get the benefits of THCA, not THC. Mm -hmm. you know, THC, ironically, is the only cannabinoid in the, of all cannabinoids that causes that high feeling. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole new world of, of, you know, I, you know, we're involved in the THC world right now. And, and soon I think THCA, uh, will be a product that people are exploring, uh, much, much more. I feel like when you look at dispensaries or different places that advertise it, it seems like it's a laundry list of like every single possible thing that could ever be wrong with you, like sleeplessness, anxiety, pain, inflammation, gut health, like it seems a little snake oily, and I think that's right. why a lot of patients bring it up to us to be like, is this, a, is this a helpful thing? So CBD and CBDA and THCA, all of these sort of non-psychoactive cannabinoids, like what kind of changes are we expecting this to make in our body when, it, when we consume these? So I think what's really interesting is people, do, you're right, it's, it's mm -hmm. very hard to study because it does everything. <laughs> I mean, it seems to interface with every um, pathway that you can imagine. But I think it's really important to understand what the endocannabinoid system does is it sort of uh, maintains homeostasis in the body. Okay. So it moderates a ton of, of things. There's, you may have heard of CB1 and CB2 receptors in the body. You know, these are natural receptors. And these products, uh, CBD, CBDA, THC, THC, are not directly um, agonists, meaning they don't stimulate the CB1 and CB2 receptors directly which is really interesting because it's sort of, they are more like allosteric modulators. So they change the bodies, like the thermostat of so many things. And the only one that is a direct stimulator is THC. And it is a direct stimulator of CB1. And that's why people feel that high sensation. All the other cannabinoids don't do that, but they are very, their, their effect is very complex. For example, CBD and, and, you know, and particularly CBDA is a selective COX-2 inhibitor, which is, you know, as we know, one of the mediators of inflammation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, CBDA is about as potent as, uh, as indomethacin mm -hmm. or diclofenac on the COX-2 receptor. Okay. And just to be clear for our, our listeners who may not know what those medications are, so uh, the COX pathways are, tend to be mediators of inflammation in our body. 
and medications, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications like ibuprofen, like aspirin, tend to be sort of non-selective COX pathway inhibitors, COX COX. Um, there's different medications that you know that more specifically go towards the inflammation pathway, like Celebrex and indomethacin, like Dr. Palmer mentioned, is a pretty significantly potent non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication. It's one that we use to treat things like gout flares because it's so inflammatory. So um, it's really interesting to to know that 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 CBD works on these similar pathways and can sort of block some of these uh, inflammation pathways. So right. It is. It's, it's got to be frustrating to to try to explain the very granular, very easy, like, okay, well, it does this, this, and this, and this is why. Because it sounds like it's just a very complicated, you know, biologic system that this is working on. And it's not maybe as simple as saying, well, it works on this one receptor and makes this one change. It may, it sounds like it works on several receptors and can create sort of a ripple effect. And that's maybe right. why it's so difficult in the medical community to really explain, like, well, it does, you know, it does a lot of things and it's hard to know. And I would also assume that through the studies done for Epidiolex that you're also getting a lot of information about potential harms or toxicity, you know? So I think yes. that's the big, oh, the big other side. It's like, okay, great. Whether or not this stuff works for every single person, is there a high risk of harm? And I think that that's the, the part that when I speak to patients, it's like, well, I'm not exactly sure because I'm just not well versed in it about the, the potential benefits. But in my mind, the risk for harm is is pretty significantly low, and I'd I'd love to hear your input on that, Scott. About yeah, you know, that's the, a great the question. Associated with it, yeah, that comes up comes up all the time. And, sure. And, uh, effectively, you it is an amazingly safe family of drugs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you really cannot overdose on them. Um, they've done trials, a lot of trials using pure CBD and. And so in the early days in the, in the trials, they would start by giving uh, a, a, someone, a small child with, with the epilepsy, they would start like at five milligrams per kilo per day. And, and you can go all the way up to 50 milligrams per kilo per day. So if you have a, like a, you know, someone who's up, you know, 50 kilos, um, you know, that's, that's 2,500 milligrams of CBD a day is what you're taking. And they looked very closely and, and. It was very well tolerated. There was some GI effects. Um, rarely there was some liver effects. But one of the big reasons is that CBD is a little bit irritating to the stomach and because it's an oil. So it's harder for, for uh, some patients and children to take that amount of, of the CBD, but also gives you an idea of how much it takes to get into the, into the brain where you're actually doing more significant things. Because uh, I think CBD does get into the brain you know, one, obviously one of the ways that it works, but um, because the bioavailability is terrible, you have to consume a lot more. And that's a lot, that's very expensive. I mean, Epidiolex, when it first came out, if you paid cash, it was about $32,000 a year. Now, how, who can really afford that? You know, that's why a lot of people are taking, um, are taking their own products. You know, they can grow their own hemp, do their own extraction process. And, um, and, and so that's why all the, a lot of these companies grew up with, with all sorts of products. You'll see all sorts of, um, you know, amounts of the products, but the, the truth is it's very expensive to take enough of that to get to the point where you're affecting, you know, central nervous, um, effects when you're, yeah. when you're trying to treat something like epilepsy. Yeah. I would, I would argue, I think it seems like danger here is that it's just not regulated and so in that case it's not so much how much cbd is in there it's what else is in there or what else is not in there because again the product that you buy is not regulated by anybody and so you have to trust that where you're sourcing it from is not full of fillers that have bad stuff well that's why now companies will have a certificates of analysis and i would urge anybody if you're going to get a cbd product is to look for the certificate of analysis so what they say essentially will do is tell you how what cannabinoids in there how much terpenes how much flavonoids is there any you know toxins any heavy metals and such mm -hmm. now companies like ours you know we we our companies in virginia so we were um certified as as safety by the virginia department of agriculture and we also like many companies operate under the fda's cgmp guidelines which just means currently good 
uh, manufacturing practices. Okay. So those are two things you would, anybody would want to look for when they're going to purchase a product. And that assures that you that it's made um, made with good practices. They do quality control. It's got a certificate analysis to tell you exactly how much product you're getting, and also and and if and that there's very little THC because people ask me all the time um, if I got drug tested at work, would it show up on my on the on the screen? And and the, the answer is with a with a reputable company, you will not test positive for THC because there's no THC in the product that you're consuming. That's a really good point that I'm sure a lot of people had had questions about. Is are those two things on the labels, or is that something you'd have to like go to somebody's website to find? Or you probably have to go to the website to get the uh, COA, the certificate of analysis. Uh, some companies will have the uh, CGMP stamp, um, and uh, and but definitely it will be on the product, uh, probably in the fine in the fine print yeah. on their on their website. I I just to to go one step further, I, I think it's really interesting. And uh, you may have heard that um, Charlotte's Web now, a big company, just signed a deal with Major League Baseball that they're going to start marketing their product with Major League Baseball. Huh. And so to have CBD products in the locker room, you have to get an additional certification called NSF, which is a third-party uh, company which who goes through a very, very rigorous um protocol to certify that that these products in the locker room are are free of contamination are not no adulteration of anything are exactly what they that, that they are interesting i want to take a step back for a second just to you talked before i'm going to call it an alphabet soup moment of this um podcast where you were talking about thc thc a cbd cbd there were all these things being put out. And I just want to review real quick because I even I felt like I was getting a little bit lost. So THC can make me high. Is right. thing that's most like marijuana plant has mostly THC. Is that what you were saying? Correct. Most most of it is THC when you if you were to pick your plant from your right. from your garden. Not your garden. Th and where does how about THCA? Does THCA make me high or no? Does the not acid form will not make you high. And, and that's how do I get that? Where is that at? That's well, you it's very hard. So uh, the big irony is THCA is probably the the number one cannabinoid in the world because any marijuana plant, you just pick the leaf off, you've got ninety-four percent of its THCA. The irony is is if you if you possess pure THCA, that's illegal. Hmm. It's a it's a schedule one drug. It's not yet come off that scheduling so you can't possess the isolate and that's why there's no research in this field right now because the legality of this formerly has been so tough nobody's had the wherewithal to be able to study this i mean ironically it was also that it was the israelis the canadians a lot of people in europe from which we got a lot of this early information and now um because of the momentum i think there's a lot of u.s companies now looking into this to see if there's and what exact dose that's necessary to um, to help patients with all sorts of disorders. Yeah. And so, and then CBD is from the hemp plant and your company does a lot with CBDA. So again, the difference between so, those two things, right? Yeah. So, so the, whereas the marijuana plant predominantly is THCA and a little bit of CBD, the, the hemp plant is predominantly CBDA. Practically, okay. There's practically no CBD when you could take a, you know, harvest a hemp plant. And for a long, long time, people would say that CBDA was an inactive precursor to CBD. And they did everything they could to push the whole reaction to make pure CBD because that, they thought, was where the money was. Mm. And for years and years and years, uh, CBDA was sort of ignored as has been THCA up until very, very recently. Then we, we realized that CBDA is actually about a thousand to four thousand times as potent as CBD. Oh wow! Um, another uh, fact about CBDA is, whereas CBD has about a six percent bioavailability, uh, CBDA is about twenty-five to thirty percent bioavailable. Hmm. 
And our product, which is magnesium CBDA, is about 80% bioavailable. So when you consume, again, 100 milligrams of a product, you're going to get um, about 70, 80% of that's going to be absorbed in the body and do whatever, you know, whatever you're taking the product for. So we, early on, we went out to Cresco Laboratories and used their little laboratory and, and were able to discover that we did a different type of extraction process and we're able to create magnesium CBDA right up, right from the hemp extract. And it came out as a powder, amazingly. And not only was it a powder, but it was very, very water soluble. So our product, which is magnesium CPA, is both water soluble and fat soluble. And that's why we can make capsules. That's why we make creams that are very absorbable. We're now making gummy bears. We're making patches. Um, you know, we're doing other types of products, skin type products. We're doing a lot of research also in aerosolized versions of this for people with uh, inflammatory lung diseases, which oh, is wow. very interesting too. Absolutely. All right. So I just, I just Googled CBD and I just went to the shopping tab. And so if I'm looking at like the first one that comes up is extra strength, isolate, zero THC, relax, bears, CBD, 25 milligram CBD slash EA. Is that CBD? Is that CBDA? Like, no, am- that's all that's CBD. Okay. Nobody, very, very few companies are marketing CBDA because CBDA is very unstable. So most people put it into a formulation of CBD. So if you get a 25 milligram gummy bear, maybe about six or 8% of that CBD is going to get in your body. So you can imagine that it's difficult to take that many gummy bears. If you're trying to get like, say a 20, 30 milligrams of CBD in your, in your bloodstream. So Scott, you treat a lot of things. So like we, if, if somebody had pain, you may say use 600 milligrams of ibuprofen, right? Or if you're treating depression, maybe you'd say use Start with 25 milligrams of sertraline, and then, which is Zoloft, and then go up, whatever, 25 milligrams. When you talk about CBD, do we know what milligrams we need to be using in people for things? So the only, so the only real hard data we have is the epidiolex data. Yeah. So we know that most kids or, or adults can be controlled with 10 to 20 milligrams per kilo per day. So that's a couple hundred milligrams a day. There, there's probably some data that says 20 to 30 milligrams of CBD is probably calming, can help you relax, maybe help promote sleep, may help some pain benefits. Okay. So I think that's the dosing that people would probably want to look for. And as I said before, the isolate is the pure product. I think that the combination that more of the, you know, that hemp extraction products that contain predominantly CBD, probably are more effective because of this uh, entourage effect. I'm looking at a Charlotte's web product right here that says hemp extract, 15 milligrams. So some of them say hemp extract, some say CBD. Like, what's the difference there? Well, the extract is actually from, again, right from the plant. If you don't do much to it, if you don't do much processing, then they call it an extract. Extract. You can have a purified extract where they pull out more of the plant material that still has a lot of the cannabinoids and the terpenes. And as you go to distillate and then to isolate, what you're doing is you're increasing pure CBD dose, but you're reducing everything else. Got it. So the big question right now is, is if you reduce the other products, is the CBD going to be as effective as it would have been in the more in the hemp extract products? Yeah, I love that it's called the entourage effect because when you initially said that, I had this image of Adrian Grenier on entourage and they didn't use CBD. They used a lot of THC. In Lots that show. of THC on so, that show. But yep, that, that when drama. you said entourage effect, that's what I was thinking in my head. Um, I had a the, feeling that was where your head was. Yeah, totally. Um, it's interesting, the entourage effect, just on a serious note, because um, I, I actually want to use an analog to something that is more something that Julie and I come across all the time. And actually our first episode was on stem cells or bone marrow and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I think that these worlds not overlap in the sense of the way that they work, but in, in kind of the science aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And you talked about the entourage effect and one of the challenges in pain control with like bone marrow and stem cells, we talk about the molecules that are in there and they've been tried to be purified. And the most famous one was IL-1RA, where the receptor antagonist of IL-1, which causes pain, mm-hmm. it got completely down to being a purified IL-1RA and didn't work. And yeah. so clearly it needed things right. with it to to function. And we don't know what that is at this point. But 
But one of the reasons we think bone marrow aspirate concentrate or BMAC, or if you go back to our first episode, hey, go back to the first episode and listen to it. Okay. Um, Jorge. Yeah. Um, it, that has a very high um, composition of IL-1-RA, which a lot of the other blood products do not. And that's why we think there may be a really strong effect there. But again, we don't know. And so when I talk about CBD and also, you know, the cannabinoid world, as well as like our stem cell world, what I have found, and you can, I want you to like comment on this when I'm done is it seems like the science makes sense and it mm -hmm. should work, but the data doesn't exist and not because it doesn't exist because it's not going to work, but because it just doesn't, we haven't gotten there yet. It takes time to do these studies. It takes un money to do the studies. It takes different trials of like dosages and, and even with like, how often do you do it? And then, but because it's not regulated in either of these cases, the use is just exponential compared to data. on it. So like, what right. is your feeling towards? That? Well, the data is going to lag. We know it, it it's an anti-inflammatory. We know that it has anxiety benefits. We know it's an antioxidant, so it can heal damaged tissues. You know, we know it it's working through the endocannabinoid system. And so I think that with time, we're going to have more data, you know, but as you know, we have to do blinded trials. So it's hard to determine. I mean, people, you give them a tap capsule or tablet or a, or a, a tincture, they'll say, boy, I felt so much better after it. Well, mm -hmm. they may have been better if you just gave them, you know, uh, just shea butter oil or, or you know, yeah. some kind of uh, olive oil. Yeah. And you have to do these blinded studies before we can determine what, you know, what is it exactly that we have to figure out and, and, you know, uh, give to patients and what, what's the dosing that's most effective for too. That's exactly where I was hoping you were going. Are these studies being done, I guess, is my question to you, because it would seem like it would not be terribly difficult to do a, you know, like ibuprofen versus CBD for pain or a sertraline versus CBD for anxiety and depression? Well, you know, the, there was a, an ortho conference in Chicago a couple months ago where a group from New York found that in their post-op sh shoulder patients that people with oral CBD had a reduction in, in pain post-operatively, which is really interesting because mm. they, you know, they did a trial. I think they, they placebo-controlled it. But um, I think that's opened up eyes of people that when it gets more embraced and people use it more often, they see... The, you know, the need for narcotics is reduced after surgeries or they have an ache and, and aches or sprain or injuries to any parts of their body. If they can get back out there more quickly, I think that kind of observational data is good. But you're right. It's the problem is that, you know, who's going to put the money into it? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to do a trial and spend all that money. You want to have some kind of uh, product that you have control over. Otherwise, you're not going to get a return on investment. And that's well, why people are exploring this area to see maybe there's some novel product or maybe some concoction that's novel that they can use as either a, a trade secret or, a, you know, a, a, a get patented and, and can have control over the future. Yeah. So what you're saying is the companies are not going to fund these things because again they can't patent it in any form or fashion so the, the most well, of the most of this yeah. data is going to have to come from independent people who don't have skin in the game to try to put those right. studies through so there you know for example pfizer purchased a company that sort of works in the cannabinoid space which was really interesting um and then you're seeing other you know in canada there's been a consolidation of big cannabis companies as, as they're making more and more CBD, uh, Cresco is another one in the U.S. Um, that's consolidating, and and they're big producers, mostly I would say of of marijuana products for dispensaries. But but I think that the CBD market is emerging because um, there 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 is a perception of, of good value. It's just we can't tell people, we can't say on the label that this is going to treat your pain. Mm -hmm. you know, that's where the FDA is a problem when we mention indications, and so. Um, uh, but this is going to be an exciting area, I'd say, in the next ten years, and and uh, and some some reason for us to to focus is to you know how are we can go forward, how do we recommend this to patients, what products are going to we recommend, you know, give them give them some information that that they certainly can see an improvement of their symptoms. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to make a point of 
and this is something that I think I struggle with in my job as a day-to-day as a sports medicine physician. And I'm sure you, you know, let me know if you run into similar things, Scott and Jeremy, but I feel like sports medicine in particular, we do a lot of arthritis management and that ends up being a lot of pain management. And you have to get very creative with our, you know, the techniques that we can utilize to, to manage people's pain. Because it's not just, if it was just as simple as everybody just takes a Tylenol and they feel better, then we wouldn't have, we wouldn't be, I mean, it doesn't work that way, obviously, you know? So, um, and I don't know, I feel like in general, I think we're like maybe just okay, if not kind of bad at managing chronic pain and, and yeah. not very bad at it. And, Both and chronic and cute too. And, exactly. So, and, and we, you know, the, the, the knee-jerk reaction is to, okay, well, what medication can I prescribe for this? And and to be honest, like there's really no great pain medications that are not without very significant risks. So, so Scott, if you're positing that this is a, a, a substance that can provide, you know, some type of symptomatic relief and the, and the side effect profile and the toxicity profile is what sounds like extremely low, then hell yeah. Let you know, like, why not? And I'm right. glad that we're sort of looking into this, you know, into this field to to help us be better at something that we're pretty shitty at, to be honest with. You. Well, you know, some of this so is so new and innovative. I think people have a hard time adopting. Like, wait a second, you can take this product that's going to help pain and and may mm-hmm. reduce the need for, you know, narcotics or anti-inflammatories. Mm-hmm. Who shouldn't be taking this? Like, say you have you know a, a really reputable product, say. It's- your product, whatever. So it has, you, you look, you have this certificate of analysis. It looks like it's a legit product. Who is like, mm, you probably shouldn't, or you should be talking to your doctor first. I mean, like you mentioned Epidiolex is used in children. Like what about pregnant people? Like right. what kind of, well, who are the like, no, no, maybe you shouldn't be even trying this. So I don't think this is a good product. I, I think any product we, we like this in this family that we just don't know enough about, we shouldn't be using it. Pregnancy, mm-hmm. we're doing breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the jury's out whether or not that's a safe product. But I, I'll tell you, we, we've used our products in kids as young as in their like 12, 13 years old for their seizures. And I've had patients in their 90s who have great benefit from it. You know, okay. I, we have, I have some 90-year-olds with osteoporosis, some spine, you know, uh, compression fractures, mm-hmm. and they get great benefit out of the cream and the capsules. And we have not seen any safety issues, you know, okay. You know, concern has been asked, can it interact with my other medications? The answer is pretty much no. You know, there are anti-seizure meds that can interact with CBD. But, um, you know, people who are on blood thinners and the cardiac type medications, there's no interaction. And there, and there has been no toxicity that we've seen. I mean, unless someone is allergic to hemp products, which, which occurs, people tolerate it amazingly well. So I would tell people... It's definitely something to talk to your doctor about because I think this is an area that we're just slowly getting more comfortable with. And I think it's going to be a big thing in the, in the future. When, just to clarify, when you say that there hasn't been any of those like issues with other medications or huge side effects, is that something that's like anecdotal, You've you, meaning that you followed or like you're seeing that through like rigorous trials where you guys are like having people report through a number or like how is that going? Well, the Epidiolex trials, they have looked at patients with multiple and multiple medications for epilepsy. Like Clovazam was the one that seemed to be displaced and, and that's an anti, another anti-seizure medicine. But they've got people with on lots of medications who are taking Epidiolex. And, and then these are people that were tracked really closely for liver enzymes, CBCs, um, you know, any adverse effects. And people tolerated these products really well. It seems like the Epidiolex trials are kind of like the ones that are the drivers of the, yeah. the drivers. I will say yeah. I went to examine.com, which is a great place to get some resources. And I, I did look up CBD and, and, and the few things that I, I didn't look through everything, but there was a few on chronic pain because I felt like that was something we'd talk about. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a big meta analysis done that basically showed it was inconclusive and it was low quality studies, which I think just really sums up the kind of like probably where we are at this point is that there may be something there. It's just, we just don't have like the data that we have on some of the other stuff to say it. So I think you know, you shouldn't turn a blind eye on it. I think that's completely wrong. I think physicians can sometimes get in trouble uh, by not being willing to be open to things like this. I think at the same time, we are trusted by our patients because they know that we won't do anything to harm them. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or at least that we take an oath not to. And I think it's up to us to make sure as physicians that we're doing a good job of being rigorous with looking through the trials as things come up. And if we're unsure, making sure that we're referring to somebody who has more information in this in this area. Um, so I'm excited yeah. to see where it's going. I really am. I think we haven't had a major breakthrough in pain management in a very, 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 very long time. And I think that if we get more information and as a provider myself, if I had more confidence in knowing kind of like what dosages I needed to use and like what would be the side effect profile at different dosages and like things to look out for. Um, I, I think I would be very comfortable looking into something like this. Yeah. I think just breaking it down and distilling it just to sort of start wrapping things up, Jeremy, I think that it was sort of where you were, where we're going with this is that, you know, one, there are differences between THC, THCA, CBD, CBDA, the products that are, you know, that are coming from the plant, like the things that Scott, Palmer are talking about are um, mainly CBD, but sort of some more interesting and, and some of his products involve CBDA, which are more potent, which are non-psychogenic, meaning they don't make you high, don't get goo goo gaga, get the munchies from them, um, can have significant benefits in mood, sleep, pain, inflammation, healing. Um, and a lot of the data that we're extrapolating upon is coming from an FDA approved drug called Dialex, which is sounds like complete 100% isolated CBD. And you, you know, we talked a little bit about the entourage effect of, in fact, using different parts of the hemp plant, not just distilled, only isolated CBD uh, may provide significant additional benefit, but it's really difficult to tell that because there isn't, you know, there isn't an FDA approved for hemp extract, you know, medication right. called, called, uh, you know, uh, pal- Palmerex, you know, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, but maybe with 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 more data and more study, this will be really helpful. And I I'm very excited. And we talked about the, you know being excited as you know uh, primary care physicians and sports medicine physicians for the the potential for improved um, symptomatic outcome of a lot of chronic problems. You know that are extremely common: pain, pain, sleeplessness, anxiety, mood problems, that kind of stuff. That there could be potentially some major improvements we could offer people, or or you know with the likelihood of very little, as we know of now, adverse effects. So that's sort of my Cliff's Notes versions of, of what we talked about. If if I didn't miss yeah. any major points, I um I I I we I want everybody to know that there's no uh, we we're not getting any kickbacks from Scott or his company no. at this point with this next statement I'm about to make. But the one product I have tried was Scott's lavender cream on the inside part of and it of, smells good of of my in of my ankle when I had rolled it and was having. I was I was kind of limping around and I did put it on and I did feel better. So anecdotal one one time, one use of one product, I semi believed in it. So it it, it did it, and I had no adverse effects and my skin smelled better. So yeah. yes, the lavender. <laughs> Very nice. I think I think there was a lot of good stuff there. So Scott, we really appreciate you coming on, man. I yeah. we're going to get into a little bit of a rapid fire session here that we do to kind of talk about uh, you and 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 stuff away from this, but it's very difficult to find people who are reputable in this area. I think we've been asked actually by people, are you going to do something on this? Um, and, and it's very, very difficult. And, and despite the fact that, you know, we can acknowledge that there may be a clear conflict of interest here that people would, mm-hmm. would question us on because of your investment in this. You're, Scott Palmer is a very, very good doctor and has mm-hmm. a large panel of patients that he takes care of and treats very, very well and does not give a CBD to every one of them. And yeah. so I, I think that your insight here is really, really helpful for us to be able to both understand what the companies are doing, understand where the research is, understand mm-hmm. how you're using it in clinical practice. And then as we go forward, I'm sure that there's going to be more developments and we're just going to have to bring you on for breaking news on on, on your doctor friends. So. Julie, do you have something for rapid fire for for Scott? I'm just curious to know, like, do you do you use it, Scott? Have you have you have you have you sampled your own product? That's an excellent question. And in truth, I I do. And, and as as Jeremy was saying, I I don't sell this product under my office. There, you know, honestly, I do think I, I'm very cautious about any conflict of interest. I I if people mm-hmm. ask, I'll tell them. I'll, I'll, and I update people about our research because we've got a lot of research going. And that's, to me, what's really exciting. But as far as my use of it, I actually use the cream. So I, I'm a sort of an avid runner. And I, after a long run, I'll put that cream on and I'll put some ice packs. And telling you, I, I think it works as well as anything for me. I, I do think that objectively it does help people. 
And um, I think that there's a lot of interesting studies that are going to, we'll see in the near future that are going to you know, show this is a really a great area of, of, um, of medicine to be in. For our listeners, Scott, Scott is a concierge physician. So I have a question of what is best thing about being a concierge physician? And what is the worst thing about being a concierge physician? There is no worst thing. Oh, he's, he's a company uh, man. No <laughs> it's his own company. So yes. Yeah. It is. I'll tell you, I was a traditional doctor for a long, long time mm -hmm. at about 3000 patients, uh, charts. And now I, I see about 400, 450 patients and I love it. It allows me to do lots of fun things like, like the bulls, the white Sox, mm -hmm. yeah. the, uh, you know, all these, these little companies, which I'm, I'm very passionate about. Yeah. Um, joined sports and the kids and things. So it was the best decision I ever made. We love it. Yeah, that's great. All right. Um, I'd like everybody to um, listening to, please always, as always, interact with us uh, on social, your doctor friends on Instagram and on uh, TikTok. Scott, if people want to find more about you, where can they find more about you? So uh, we, have a, we have a website, a Kylo Cure, which is our company.com or kylorelief.com. Those are the two company websites we have. Um, I have a, my own webpage, scottpalmermd.com. Love it. Um, I do a Twitter account under my other company, Synthonics, and I pretty much just update people about medical happenings and breakthroughs and interesting things. So, yeah, those would be the... I'm not really sophisticated in the Instagram world. And then for if, if you're listening right now and it's safe and you're not driving, um, I'd like you to subscribe to the show and then go to our Instagram. And there's a link tree there that has a lot of great links to all the things yeah. that we're doing now, including our merchandise and some of the fun stuff that we have at our website. So please go check out the link tree, bookmark it, and that way you can go back and find all the stuff we need. So, Yeah. So I think it's not going to make you high, but it might make you feel better. Try True. CBD. <laughs> The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast. Mm -hmm.